Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we usually talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we have a very special conversation today uh, that we'll be delving into The Rockford Files, but not entirely about it, as we have a uh, very exciting guest for us. Gigi Garner, thank you so much for joining us on 200 a Day. Thank you for having me. You know, our show is about the Rockford Files, and we're going to be asking you some questions about um, your memories and any any fun stories you might have for our audience. But one factoid that we happen to to know from, from the internet is that uh, your dogs are named after characters from from the show and you actually have a a a new project dog related that you've launched uh could you tell us about that a little bit sure well in case anybody doesn't know who i am i'm james garner's daughter (laughs) (laughs) we just assumed the rumors are true um and uh so yeah my dogs my two rescues are rocky and angel garner (laughs) not rockford (laughs) garner and um I have been a rescue for, rescuer for about 30 years, and um, actually, um, July 19th is the an- fifth anniversary of my father's passing, and um, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do in his honor, and because I'd been a rescuer and my dad was a huge dog lover, um, I just figured it might be a good fit for me to uh, file for a 501c3 charity and call it the James Garner Animal Rescue Fund, also known as J.G. Arf. <laughs> and That's great. I just launched it. What um, I'm going to do is I used to physically rescue dogs for many years, but what I'm what I do now is I network with other rescues mm. or vets or individuals who have emergency situations and need funds uh, for whatever, food, lodging, transportation, whatever it is, medical relief, uh, medical care. And then uh, I just network with different rescues. I've rescued about 20-something dogs from Thailand in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I work with other rescues, so I had them flown, actually, to Sonoma. And then I work with the rescue there, and they they were adopted out. So, I mean, basically, it's not just dogs from other countries. It's any dog in need anywhere. Um, And I'm also going to focus on... In particular, some rescues from Oklahoma, because, of Mm -hmm. course, my dad is from the great state of Oklahoma. (laughs) He's very proud of that. And if you saw Jimmy Joe Meeker, Mm -hmm. I think he's from Oklahoma. One of our favorite uh, recurring roles on the show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So so um, I'm going to try to focus on some rescues from Oklahoma as well. Uh, But uh, it's called J.G. Arf, jgarf.org. And uh, I'm really excited about it because I just launched it on Father's Day. Oh, yeah. I I would encourage our listeners to go check it out. Uh, if For no other reason, I, I've just been going through the gallery and looking at these adorable pictures of Angel and Rocky. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, my dad, you know, I wanted to tell you, my dad rescued a couple of dogs. And one of the dogs he rescued, um, he found out in the desert and uh, he went out there to to quit smoking with his friend. They got a motorhome and literally this dog came out of the desert from out of nowhere. And uh, my dad was trying to quit smoking for a commercial 
that he was doing for a quit smoking pro- you know, product. Oh. And uh, he named the dog Nicotine, and <laughs> we called him Nicky. So, nice. so he ended up with his own rescue at home. That's great. Uh-huh. That actually, I actually have a question uh, about smoking on the Rockford Files because we've noticed that ah. uh, that Jim Rockford doesn't smoke a lot. Uh, he's not like a smoker as a character trait. But every so often he'll uh, he'll light one up and, you know, when he's talking to someone or when he's thinking about something, uh, we always wonder if that has significance in the story, because that's what we are always paying attention to is the flow of the narrative and the writing. But uh, was your dad, uh, was that a character thing or was there like a reason on set that uh, there were you know cigarettes in some scenes and not others? I do not know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I just know that my dad smoked a lot and it wasn't good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, if you think about it, when you're shooting a scene where you have to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. For continuity purposes, you have to keep smoking, keep smoking, keep smoking, oh, sure. yeah. and you're smoking by the end of it twenty cigarettes. So wow. it's not good. Yeah. Did he did he manage to quit uh, for the commercial he or did. He did? Oh, that's good. He did. Yeah, he did. So uh, I guess that brings us into it because uh, we did want to ask you about the Rockford Files. Um, what was were were you involved with that show? Did you have a presence there? Uh, we're not, you know, super technical historians, so we figured we'd just ask you about uh, what your role, if any, was was on set or around set. Well, I went to the set quite a bit. And at one point, I think I was like a production assistant, which is really a glorified gopher. Yeah. <laughs> just running around getting things for people. <laughs> but um, I was there quite a bit because really my dad was gone a lot. And really, if I wanted to see my dad that much, I would just go. I would just go to his work. Right. Which was nice. That's great. Uh, was there like uh, not not to dig into like behind the scenes gossip or anything like that? But it, uh, do you have any good stories from the set uh, that you could share with our audience? Um. Oh, gosh. You know, there was one time I remember um, they were shooting down in Paradise Cove in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And it was at night. And I actually, I had come from home and I brought our dog at the time. His name was Cherokee. He's a white shepherd. I brought him uh, with me to the set. And we were in the parking lot and they were going to blow up the trailer. (laughs) And... My my dad did most of his stunts himself. Yeah. But he didn't he, he did not do this one stunt. His stunt double, Roy Clark, mm-hmm. uh was uh supposed to they were supposed to wait till Roy ran out of the trailer and then hit the detonation button. <laughs> well, and seems, unfortunately yeah. the guy hit the button too soon and it literally blew Roy out of the trailer. Oh no. It was really horrifying and Roy was screaming my dad's name. He mm-hmm. wanted my dad, you know. Jam, jam. <laughs> and he was on fire literally. He Oof. had a cork board from the wall stuck to his back on fire. Oh. And it was it was a terrible terrible incident. Um, and I think, as far as I know, that's the only time anybody ever got hurt uh, on the set. Um, and my dad was right there, you know, mm-hmm. consoling him. And mm-hmm. he got some pretty bad burns on Oof, that, yeah. with that. It's really not wow. good. <laughs> Dangerous business when you get into the, uh, the 
those big explosive moments. I'm thinking, I forget the the title now, but maybe the the episode where the guy ends up throwing a grenade into the trailer from the top. That's one of the episodes. I don't don't think we've talked about it yet for the show, but that's the time I remember the trailer exploding for for us. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll have to look into that because we might be able to figure out which one that is. Uh, But uh, also kind of famously, like you said that your your dad does a lot of his own stunts. And uh, one of the more impressive things is that he did a lot of his own driving uh, in in the the Firebird. Did you ever get a chance to get behind the wheel of the famous (laughs) Rockford Firebird? Well, I did. Actually, Mm. there were, I think, five different cars. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is going to sound really strange. But at the time, right, it was the 70s, it was the mid-70s, mm-hmm. and one time my car was in the shop, and I drove to school every day, and so I had to take my dad's work car <laughs> to school, <laughs> and I parked the car like two blocks away from my school, so nobody would see me oh. in my dad's work car. <laughs> it would be so embarrassing to be driving that thing around. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So embarrassing to be driving your dad's work car when you when you have a really cool, you know, BMW or something, <laughs> you know. It's just it, it just wasn't happening. Was it the the, the car with, with the signature license plate and everything? Like the one that's literally on set? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he had it. You know, my dad drove, like, in the Rocker Files, there was a, a truck that was supposedly um, his dad, Rocky's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it yeah. was a maroon and silver truck. That was actually my dad's truck. Oh, really? And oh, he would okay. drive that back and forth. So he owned the truck. That was his own personal car. It does seem like that uh, they take better care of that truck than they do mm. the Firebird. <laughs> it's, always, it's always pretty clean. Well, yeah. It's never getting yeah. blown up. Yeah. Well, it was my dad's car. It yeah. was his personal car. So, yeah, they're going to take really good care of it. So that's how it got there. And that's how it got to be Rocky's car. That's great. And that, I think that also explains why I uh, I think like maybe half the scenes where Jim is in that car, he's the one driving it and not uh, not Rocky. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't realize that. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, um, I will say this. My dad really did all the driving and that whole J turn thing. That was mm-hmm. all my dad. Yeah. We end up spending a lot of our uh, discussion time talking about the J-turn whenever it comes up because it's it's so iconic, but it's also not <laughs> yeah. in every episode. So it's kind of like, all right, maybe someone just tuned, you know, just tuned into the show in the last couple episodes and hasn't heard us talk about a J-turn before. So we're going to go through all of the, you know, why oh. it's called the J okay. and why it's such an impressive yeah. move. Uh, our, our long-term listeners are probably <laughs> sick of us talking about the J-turn, but it's just, it's so cool. And it, and it just seems like such a natural extension of both the character of Jim Rockford, but also like your dad's personality as, as a driver. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what you have to understand, or maybe people don't realize, but my dad, you know, he starred in a film in the 60s, in 1966, called Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it is the most iconic racing film ever made. Even Ron Howard says it's the greatest <laughs> racing film ever made. And he made Rush, okay? <laughs> but um, my dad did all of his own driving in that. And it's really funny because none of the other actors had ever even driven a car before. <laughs> because they were like all from Europe. Like oh, Brian right, Bedford, right. he's from England. Never driven a car. Antonio Sabato, <laughs> Italy, or where, Spain, wherever. Never driven a car. Yves Montand, France. Never driven a car. <laughs> and so my dad actually went to um, a racing school. He went and learned from Bob Bondurant, um, a famous race car driver. And my dad just took to it like a duck to water. And he just became this great driver and then ended up like he came in second in the Baja 1000. Mm-hmm. And he owned his own race, racing team. He raced at Daytona, Le Mans. I mean, he was really, really into racing. And in fact, he drove the pace car for Indy three times. Wow. So he really was a driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, he could have been one of the greatest professional drivers. But part of the problem was he couldn't work as an actor and be a driver as well because he'd be insurance. Nobody mm-hmm. would insure him. Oh, right. <laughs> acting work. That, that does make me like, so. I wonder, and you, you might not have the answer to this, but uh, this makes me think um, one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, the Rockford Files, the chasing and the driving and stuff like that, uh, is that it's uh, very creative. Like there's things that happen uh, that you don't expect. There's like, you know, suddenly a car will slow down and pull into a parking spot and let another, you know, like there's tricks and things that happen. And I was just wondering if you knew if your dad had a lot of input in that, given his experience driving or, uh, it was that more just stuff that came out of the script. He may have, he may have, he may have with, with stunts and things like that. It's very possible. But one thing my dad did not mess around with was the dialogue. Hmm. He let, you know, the writers write. And that was that whatever was on the page is what Mm -hmm. he was going to read. He didn't uh, monkey around with it or ad lib or do anything like that. He just read what was on the page. And of Mm -hmm. course he had the greatest writers, David Chase, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, Steve and uh, Juanita Bartlett, you know, Juanita Bartlett was a secretary in the office (laughs) and she came from being just a secretary to being one of the greatest writers. Yeah, when we see that she's written an episode, we get excited about mm-hmm. doing a. Uh, yeah. Did you like so? Did you know Juanita then? I mean. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course, I knew everybody there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, she she seems like such a uh, such a powerhouse as a writer, just with you know the dialogue and everything, but also her the characters that she writes are some of the most yeah human characters we think it seems to us um yeah and they really seem yeah. to bring the best they really seem to have brought the best out of your uh, out of your dad in response to them because he was mm-hmm. so good at responding to other actors well what's interesting is steve and david and juanita knew my dad so well mm-hmm. so because he knew him so well i think it made it easier for them to write for him mm-hmm because they just knew what my dad could do because mm-hmm. you know, they knew him so well. Yeah. Yeah. Juanita. I mean, did you know that she was just a secretary? No, I didn't know that. She was just a secretary in the office. I think I'd, I'd probably read it, but I kind of forget it because she became a producer. Yeah. Star. Yeah. She really, you know, came a long way and uh, showed what she could do. Yeah. She was one of the nicest people too. 
Yeah, I was going to ask if you have any, like, not necessarily stories, but anything that you'd like to share about her, just because in terms of doing research for the show, there's a lot about your dad, there's a lot about some of the other actors, but a lot of the writing staff, Mm -hmm. they don't get written about as much. Is there anything uh, you'd like like us to know or our listeners to know about her that wouldn't necessarily... Well, all all I can tell you is she's just one of the nicest people I've ever known. Always had a big smile on her face. Um, She died, unfortunately, oh gosh, six or seven years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. She retired to Martha's Vineyard. And um, she's just a real Hollywood writer success story, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And then I will tell you that David Chase called me after my dad passed away Mm -hmm. and and really (laughs) shared some true gems, (laughs) some stories with me that were actually pretty funny. Um, that I cannot repeat, but, oh. <laughs> but they had a real family and I'm still mm. very close to, uh, Ch- Chaz Johnson, mm-hmm. who is of course went on to produce JAG and NCIS. And I'm, I mean, I'm still very close with him and his wife. Those people were real, a real family. The mm-hmm. people that made the rocker files, they were a family for sure. That's something that really came through for us when we started watching the movies, the the yeah. uh, TV movies. Uh, so much of the staff was the same, and so many of the so many of the actors came back, and uh, Gretchen Corbett. Uh, right. Coming back as Beth after so long and everything. It was, uh, there's a real warmth yeah. to those. That was so great. Uh, I think when we were chatting a little bit, um, someone mentioned the uh, ill-fated reboot attempt. Do you know if anyone from the original uh, show was involved with that? No. No, <laughs> nobody was. Um, they tried, to, you know, NBC Universal, they tried to reboot it. Um, they cast, I believe his name is Delbert Mulrooney uh, uh, as Jim Rockford. And they did a pilot, and apparently it just did not come out well, and <laughs> it just didn't happen. In fact, they didn't even air the pilot. Um, they did ask my dad to make a cameo. He mm. said no. Because Cherokee Productions wasn't involved with that. It was all NBC, his production company. I'm I'm in the process of taking over Cherokee Productions. Oh, okay. Because it's my dad's brand, and mm. it made the Rocker Files, and I went to USC Film School, <laughs> and my dad would like me to do something with it. <laughs> my expensive education. Yeah. But, um, you know, we own it. We own half of it with, mm-hmm. you know, NBC Universal. So um, I don't think, you know, they want to get my dad's blessing, but if it's NBC Universal, it's a network, whatever, they're going to do whatever they sure, want. Sure, they're not yeah. going to ask you know, anybody's yeah. permission, they're just going to do it. And, you know, I don't really believe that uh, a new generation or at least the old generation, because it is kind of a cult classic, mm-hmm. I don't think the fans are going to be able to buy anybody else in that role. Yeah. It's just like trying to make Columbo without Peter mm-hmm. Falk. I don't know if it would work. I just don't. And and apparently it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have we have the proof in front of us. They didn't even want to show the pilot. No, no. And also, you know, there's another uh, great, talented actor, star, uh, Vince Vaughn, mm-hmm. who's, oh, yeah. who wants to make a Rocker Files movie, obviously starring himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Vince Vaughn has something that nobody else has. He has certain, you know, qualities. He, mm-hmm. That's why he's so successful. But I just, I'm not 100% convinced that, People, you know, will buy him, especially the people who are the fans from the original. I'm just not sure if if 
there's anybody who could really pull it off besides my dad. And of course, he's not around anymore. So that's that. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, of course, anything that propagates the Rockford Files, I'm all for, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) Uh, because I'm trying to keep my dad's legacy alive. You know, Mm. I don't want people to forget about him and what he did. Um, But I just don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, oftentimes um, the the series that you see that successfully do stuff like that, they don't just reboot it. They just move on, like, you know, set it in the same world. Uh, they take I'm thinking like how Star Trek managed to do, uh, you know, go from Captain Kirk to uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Picard. And, yeah. You know, like the, they're like, we had this iconic character here. We're not going to try and recreate this iconic character. We're going to see if we can capture some of the other magic uh, mm-hmm. some other way. But yeah, I like I I don't know. I would think if I were an actor, I would be terrified of trying to yeah, fill those shoes. It would be such an intimidating. I mean, it'd be challenging, but also like his, his screen presence is just so unique. It's hard to imagine anyone else. We talk about it on the show somewhat, but one of the the great things about him as an actor is how he uh, reacts to other people. Yeah. You could watch him in a scene and you can have it on mute and you can still know what's happening. Right. Like, cause he's, uh, <laughs> you know, working with other people and stuff <laughs> like that. And I think that that is a subtle secret weapon of his because <laughs> you, you can have, <laughs> you can have actors with a lot of charm that aren't also doing that. And, and if you, if you're not also doing that, then you're not, going to pull off the same thing that was the Rockford files, you know, that's my right, theory. Right. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good point that you made because really my dad didn't really act. He more reacted, mm-hmm. he reacted. Yeah. yeah. He had, you know, something that probably, you know, a lot of people didn't have. Uh, I recently found out something uh, that really kind of was very shocking in a way I found out that one time he was leaving some event and Cary Grant pulled my dad aside (laughs) and he said to him, you, you are the only person who is on my level. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. And my dad, I think my dad's jaw dropped. Mm -hmm. My dad never told anybody that my mother told me recently. And I was like, what? (laughs) My mom said that they were just like dumbfounded Mm -hmm. and couldn't believe it, you know, that he would say something like that to my dad. And also... What a compliment. I know. Incredible compliment. Also, John Wayne has had publicly said that um, my dad was the best actor of his time. Mm -hmm. And he said that publicly. Yeah, I think I've, I've read that. So there are other actors who were, you know, very, you know, also could see what my dad uh, brought to the table. We're just glad that we can, uh, you know, still see his work. One of the things that's been a bummer for us, I think personally, but also just for the show is that uh, the Rockford Files isn't streaming anywhere. Um, It was when we started. And then you can, you can thank Netflix for that. I know. We we out we outran the streaming portion of the of the Rockford Files uh, with our show, and so you know we've you know bought the DVDs and everything. Um, but it's just like we're, we have people ask us all the time where where can I watch the show, and it's like well a lot of it's on YouTube in like bad you know like get around yeah. copyright. Yeah, how about they can buy it? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, or you can buy it. It's not expensive. Yeah. So we try to direct yeah. people to buy it. But yeah. The Mill Creek uh, DVD yeah. set is pretty affordable. Yeah. And that's uh, all but the 90s movies. You don't, uh, you don't have any uh, secret knowledge about plans to bring it back to streaming or anything? I do not. You know... They're not going to tell us. It's a yeah. lot of things revolve around, you know, they, they, they go in cycles. Now, if I'm not mistaken, there've been several like different networks, like get TV, me TV, and some other, um, cozy TV. Yeah. Yeah. They play, they have played it, um, you know, quite a bit. I don't know if they still do, but there are places, um, on TV where you can still watch it somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I would say I would recommend the best thing is to go buy it. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Um, Please buy it. (laughs) A lot of people, there was a guy today on Twitter who was like, oh, you can go to this thing and watch it for free. And I'm like, dude, please don't, please don't tell people that. Spend the the $35 for the, you know, 120 episodes of the show. Yeah. It's worth it. (laughs) Yeah, it's worth it. You mentioned Twitter and I just wanted to, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for your Twitter presence. Uh, (laughs) It's often a joy to uh, um, sometimes, you know, pull out my phone and and check Twitter and then just have like uh, just a whole bunch of things about, um, about your dad and and the Rockford files and but also like the dogs and stuff scroll by because I can Thank you. usually around the same time of day I think you you've you come on and I I notice when that happens and I I'm like oh that's good it's it's <laughs> what I needed in this moment right now <laughs> so that's um, good good well I mean I try to you know make it somewhat interesting and you know I I do tweet a lot about my dad. But I tweet about things that interest me, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Animal advocacy is my passion in life. And so I really try to help as many rescues as possible. Mm-hmm. But I am on Twitter. It's Mavrocks Girl. And uh, it's Gigi and James Garner. I started this before he passed. And I would tell him, okay, I'm tweeting this now or I'm <laughs> tweeting that. And he's like, what? what's a tweet? You know, right. I have to explain everything to him. But uh, anyway. Um, Twitter is really fun for me. I like it because it's in real time and I'm not on Facebook and, uh, I don't like Facebook at all, but Mm -hmm. I love Twitter. And so I'm pretty active on there and I, you know, try to answer everybody's questions. A lot of people have questions about my dad. Like somebody asked me yesterday, how tall is he? How tall was he? And things like that. So I try to interact with the fans as much as possible because I never did, you know, um, I got on Twitter and things uh, around the time that he had his book out, The Garner Files, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. which is his autobiography. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, trying to help promote that and everything, which it, it was a shock, Simon & Schuster, and it, I believe it was in the top 10 for a long time, mm-hmm. The Garner Files. And um, so I was using that and things like that. Now I've got, I'm just thrilled. I've got over 10,000 followers, which is amazing for me. Wow. And yeah. uh, I really enjoy it. We're jealous. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're doing us a favor by being on the show really when you get, yeah, you know, yeah. when you get right down to it. Oh, well, you guys are helping, you guys are helping propagate the rocker file. So yeah. how could I not do that? That's my job. <laughs> it's my legacy. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it. Um, I will also note that I have uh, I have my copy of the Garner Files on the bookshelf over there. It's a great a great read, uh, especially because yeah, he talks definitely. a lot about the racing stuff. Uh, if anyone out there was intrigued by our discussion earlier, 
he clearly was <laughs> was really invested in it because he spends a lot of time in the book talking. Uh, and it's really interesting stuff. It's a good read too. Like um, he's a very personable uh, mm-hmm. author. Like his voice comes through. Uh, or I've seen so many Rockford Files that I'm just hearing it in I his know. voice. <laughs> like <that's laughs> it's true. very easy to to imagine him saying saying the words because we've watched him so much. Um, well, we've probably taken taken enough of your your time. Can you uh, give us the info for uh, Jade? JG Arf one more time. Uh, and we'll, of course, put um, some links in the show notes and tweet out all the links. Sure. Um, it's www.jgarf.org. And I also design these t shirts that I mm-hmm. put out there on Teespring to raise money. And it's What Would Jimbo Do? And so oh. it's on the, the t shirts are on the website. So if you click on the T-shirt, then you can go to the site and get one of those. WWJD, what would Jimbo mm-hmm. do? I believe that Epi owns one of those shirts. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I received several uh, Jim Rockford-themed T-shirts when I <laughs> when I first started doing this show, uh, which was exciting. <laughs> yeah. I was very, very happy to get that. And uh, at least two people in the wild knew what I was talking about. Uh, the younger crowd don't yet, but I keep telling them. We're doing our best. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, thank you again so much for your time. And thank you for uh, the, the Animal Rescue Fund. Uh, I personally will be, you know, taking a look, uh, doing, doing what we can to, to help. And also uh, we ask thank our you. listeners, if you have an animal in your life, uh, you care about animals, this is a great place to put a couple dollars towards uh, helping out a good cause. Please take a look. To do it in, in James Gardner's name, which is you know, Even why we're all here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games... Maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com, where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the Worldwide Wrestling, Pro Wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. And we are back. Uh, well, that was super fun. Yeah, agreed. It is It is back to the two of us for the rest of this uh, episode. Well, the two of us and the rest of our audience. Mm, true, We're true. Never alone without our audience. <laughs> it was really nice to talk to Gigi. Yeah, that was a, uh, it was a lovely surprise um, uh, and uh, a great look into some of the some of the personal life of James Gardner. Yeah. Um, 
just kind of a, a not something I ever expected we'd be able to do when we set out to do this podcast. Yeah, definitely not. A, not a goal on my plate. Although when we started to do this, I think our goal was just to enjoy the Rockford Files, and I—I I mean, so so far, I feel like we've been been nailing that. So yeah, good job. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar, though. <laughs> I gotta say, it's easy to enjoy the Rockford Files. Well, uh, as you said, we while we may be alone in physical space, alone Cyber together, space? cyberspace. <laughs> while we may be alone on this information superhighway as we speak, yes. we of course carry the uh, carry the ghosts of all of our listeners along with us at all times, which is to say that we put out the call for some questions because uh, we figured this was a good opportunity since we weren't talking about a specific episode this time around uh, to do a little Q&A, field some questions from the audience, and uh, yeah, maybe do a little more expansive talk about non-episode-specific things that come up through uh, through this conversation. I am down for this. I like this plan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we put out the, uh, a call on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash 200 a day, uh, and on Twitter to get some questions. And I think we got a, a solid, solid set here. So thank you mm-hmm. everyone who sent us in a question. We really appreciate it. Uh, as always, if you are interested in this kind of thing, the Patreon is the place where we make a point to reach out, get, get the, uh, audience involved, uh, because, those are the folks who are uh, financially supporting us, and that's awesome, and we appreciate that, and want to make sure that you are you feel our warm embrace. Uh, we are we're warmly <laughs> embracing your ghosts on the super information superhighway. Is what I'm trying to say here. I I love this maybe post apocalyptic <laughs> or uh, just this idea that this is this is the future destined to all podcasters <laughs> to to wander. The wastelands on the information superhighway, uh, carrying along with them the ghosts of their. Not, not that I wish that any of our, our 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 listeners became ghosts. Please don't become ghosts. Well, now that we've mixed every metaphor we possibly yeah. can, uh, let's get into it. Um, all right, so we got uh, a number of questions um, from a number of people, uh, and a couple of them kind of cluster into. Topics, so I think we will jump around a little bit in terms of question asker in order to address similar questions, mm-hmm. which mostly only applies to to where we're going to start off with, because um, right. it's actually directly relevant to uh, part of the conversation that we just had with Gigi. Yes, indeed. Uh, we had a couple questions about the uh, remake reboot effort for the Rockford Files. So from uh, a couple of our patrons, uh, Dylan Winslow wrote us to say, there was an aborted attempt at a remake series in 2010, uh, and that is on IMDb, if you want to, if anyone wants to pull up the, the cast and credits for that, uh, which never aired because by all accounts, as we heard from Gigi, the pilot was awful. <laughs> but in your opinion, is the idea of a modern Rockford Files feasible? Laying aside how much of the show's success as a result of James Garner's own personality and charm, how well would the Rockford Files fit into the modern TV landscape? And would that hypothetical version of the show even be recognizable? This is uh, similar to a question from Peter Harrison, who is also a patron. 
Would you like to see a return of a Rockford series, obviously with a different cast? Uh, personally, I think most reboots are terrible, but I could see a series which does not copy, but uses some of the best elements of the series in a new creative way. And uh, before we get into answering, um, the, the actor that we couldn't quite remember that Gigi was trying to remember is uh, Dermot Mulrooney. Dermot Mulrooney as Jim the Rockford. The subject of an SNL game show uh, called Dermot Mulrooney or Dylan McDermott. <laughs> the other thing that jumps out to me from this cast list on this reboot is Alan Tudyk as Dennis Becker. Okay, let's talk about this cast. <laughs> uh, I like Alan Tudyk. Uh, he was in Firefly, which was like the first thing that pops into my head. Oh, he was also right. in... yes, obviously. That's why I recognize his face. Okay. And Tucker and Dale uh, versus Evil, I think is what it's called. I quite enjoyed that film. Uh, he's he's good. He's good, but um, uh, not the first choice I would make for our hapless uh, <laughs> detective Dennis Becker. But like again, I, you know, I, I'm not a uh, a casting producer. Is casting that what director. Are? Casting director. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what to see in people to put them in spots. But I think I said this in uh, the interview with Gigi. I think like it's wrong to try and recreate the magic that was the Rockford Files. Mm -hmm. I think it's better to find characters that have relationships with the same dynamic energy, not mm -hmm. necessarily the same relationships, but like the same dynamic energy that, that is in the Rockford Files. Uh, if I were to do this, if they were like, hey, Epi, you're one half of 200 a day. <laughs> right. Someone <laughs> comes to 200 a day. And yes. Says, All right. You are clearly the experts on what made this show great. I'm not saying that we are. However, this is Hollywood fantasy. Just to be absolutely certain about this, if this person is in fact Peter or Dylan, <laughs> the answer is yes, we will do it. But uh, I would set it today mm -hmm. and I would have it be descendants and relatives and people in the same way, that, like I like I said in, uh, before, like the same way that Star Trek: The Next Generation is in the same world as Star Trek, but like the casting crew couldn't be more. Well, they could be more different. Hmm. You know, I would take a look at the Rockford Files and I'd say, okay, I wouldn't give Jim Rockford children. Like so, some kind of you know nerd nerd level canonical stuff, right? Is that he has a nephew, right? right. Yes, who wants to be a PI. And there's a number of people that he's close to. He has, like, found family, right? Yeah. So one potential direction could be something like, sure, is it, it's the Rockford Files, but is it Scott Becker, right? Right, One of yes. Den Dennis's <laughs> kid who's, who's, quote, named after Jim. Yes. Uh, except not really who his dad wanted him to become a cop to, but he actually ended up a, a P.I., because he had Jim as a role model, you know, growing up or something like that, right? Like that one's fun because <laughs> all I really know about him is that he's a little. Sh well, right, and he's a cipher in the, in the original show, so you can do anything with him. Yeah, yeah. I think both of these questions get to the direction I think we're going. We would go, which is there are elements of the show that make it the Rockford Files that aren't James Garner. Yeah. So at what point can you? have those elements in the show and still call it the Rockford files and not have James Garner in it and have it yeah. still count. <laughs> uh, 
And I think the biggest difference in t- in, the, in the modern TV landscape, and I feel like we talk about this all the time, is how contemporary television is long-form storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so, like, is it even possible to have a, you know, the new Rockford Files be an episodic show that does not yeah. have, that has character continuity, but not plot continuity in the same way that the original does? I think that's the big question. I have wild casting suggestions that I could make. <laughs> okay, let me just make my favorite wild castings. I'm terrible at things like casting, so this is this is your your jam right here. Call it the Rockford Files, uh, only in so much as it's still called the Rockford Detective Agency. Mm-hmm. There is no Rockford at the helm. At the helm is uh, Leslie Jones mm-hmm. playing Gandalf Finch's daughter, who has taken over the Rockford files i mean because i think she could do like the middle zone temperate between the two of them mm-hmm. right that character the character that that uh can do rockford's like is the the only person in the room who really knows what they're doing uh yeah. but is like not necessarily listened to by everybody and can be you know like and, and can have like all these this other cast of characters around that that are like angel and and gandy and all that and, like not paying attention to right to her and all that um and also just be charming and do the whole be able to run cons and things but all of that aside <laughs> if we free ourselves up to do creative casting like that then i think i think you're right that the the real problem is, is that the format of the show uh and modern audiences it's not something modern audiences necessarily want out of a show i think they would they would want something more well i don't i don't know modern audiences but yeah (laughs) i mean i think the format for it now would actually be more like and i'm speaking a little bit out of my butt here because i haven't actually watched it in a long time but uh at least when it was originally airing the bbc sherlock series with uh benedict cumber cumber oh yeah cumberbatch (laughs) benedict cumberbatch um and just kind of like the bbc style in general where those episodes were of varying length depending on what the actual story was right Mm -hmm. and there are only so many in a season and stuff like that and it's almost more like a series of serial movies rather than or these days a 13 or you know episode season or whatever so something more akin to the the 90s yeah more like the 90s movies would actually probably be a better fit for for a show that if it was in in any realistic fashion was happening now would be probably on some streaming service right yeah and probably be counting on nostalgia of fans of the original show to watch it but it also wants to appeal in some way to modern audiences but there's really a big question mark as to like how feasible is this whole thing how long would it actually run if it was if there were like three two hour episodes <laughs> And start off with that, and then those are each individual self-contained stories. Why, why don't we make a mint here? Okay. Why, why don't we Why don't we launch the Rockford Cinematic Universe? Right. Okay. So <laughs> people love cinematic universes because I mean, you could do an angel show, right? Like you could do. <laughs> you... you could. I don't know if there's enough appeal to angel as a protagonist right which gets to another question that's on our list so maybe we'll circle back to angel right right but like doing this this podcast with you 
<laughs> I became very aware of backdoor pilots and sure, things sure. like that. And noticing that a lot of the Rockford, fi- like Lance White, mm. Gabby and Gandy, like there's definitely uh, things going on in the Rockford Files with an eye towards towards a, a greater. Yeah, towards spinoffs. So why not lean into that? Why not do <laughs> like reboot it as a movie, the Rockford files. Right. And I don't know how you would do that. Like, obviously I'm glossing over the, the, the entire question here, which is how do you recreate the Rockford files? <laughs> but then, then do your Gabby and Gandy film mm. uh, after that. And then do your, your Lance white films mm-hmm. and uh, your TV series. That is just Dennis Becker, LAPD. Yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome if it was all the if that all had happened in the like eighties, right? Yeah, exactly. With, like, those There's people. No, yeah. But I feel like it is pr- a pretty heavy lift to to be like, hey, this show that you might remember and have good feelings mm-hmm. for because James Garner was in it. Now watch this spinoff with these side characters that maybe you never saw with new people as a cat. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I got a question for you. Yeah. If we're doing this, if we're mm-hmm. remaking the Rockford Files, and or we're doing it modern day, right? So now we have smartphones, and now we have uh, Teslas. Right. Does that work? Does the Rockford Files work in today's technology? So someone comes to me and is like, all right, we want to do Rockford Files. We want to do it modern day. We're going to cast it with contemporary actors, mm-hmm. but we want it not to suck. <laughs> but we want it not to suck. Um, and I don't know, And in terms of like casting which actor for which part or whatever, I'm terrible at that. That's not my Bollywood. Yeah. But Here's where I would start with my pitch for this thing. Mm-hmm. The central character is not Jim Rockford or or Jim Jr. or anything. You know, it's someone, I don't know, like a, a Batman Robin situation. It's like someone right. in the halo of the Rockford uh, world who has picked up the mantle. Somebody has to answer those answering machine right. messages. You know, someone has moved into the double wide trailer. Yeah, that still you know lives in Paradise Cove, and and they're they're the PI, and they have some kind of canonical connection to Jim Rockford that mm-hmm. is expressed but not particularly important. Uh, I think you use the modern, the contemporary setting to situate the characters and their relationships mm-hmm. um, more than anything else. So, so the Angel analog. Is that necessarily a, a an ex-con trying to run, you know, run con games and the, doing their best to stay out of the reaches of the law? Um, or are they uh, an early adopter Bitcoin enthusiast? Yeah. <laughs> yes. like, like a true believer in a, in, a, in a technology that is just not going to pan out. And so they're always they're they yes. always have some angle on making something work. By, like they're still con games, right. but it's not about tricking people into betting on the wrong pony at the track. It's about getting people to invest in your new Bitcoin startup. Yeah. Or like a multi-level marketing scam. Somebody who uses the word disrupt a lot, right? A serial entrepreneur who's always getting, you know, venture capitalists to invest invest in the the Uber of of motorboats and then they always are able to to skip to exit without getting totally burned and they leave everyone else holding the bag mm-hmm. right like that would be the angel of today yes i think you still have the triumvirate or the, the the holy trinity of if you will of like rpi someone in the legit police force and a mm-hmm. lawyer yeah the three of them are all connected and that dynamic i think is pretty universal in 
TV and, and, and pretty understandable. And fundamentally, they're all friendly with each other, even right. if their jobs put them at odds with each other. And don't forget Iraqi. I think there needs to be sure, someone. Well, see, that's the thing. If, like, in a perfect world, James Garner would be the Rocky, right? right? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that perfect world. Well, in the perfect world, it would be about a trucker who <laughs> James Gardner was the Rocky too, trying to get him to do PI work. But yeah, a, the 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 father or the the mentor, a nice, friendly, if a little bit naive mm. uh, bastion in in this world, right? Like, uh, uh, but I think having them be a family member is pretty important. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then you have the whole halo of additional characters, and those are more specific to the demands of of a of particular plots, I suppose. Mm-hmm. In terms of figuring out crimes and mysteries and con games and everything, how long did Leverage run? That worked fine. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a different show, but you can... Yeah, yeah. The content is just... You just need to be smart about making good stories with contemporary content. I don't think there's anything... If anything, the Rockford Files was really fun in one way because he was always using technology. And to yeah. us, it feels old because it was old to us. But now... You know, our PI in this show is the one who's uh, using iPads and mobile hotspots to set up uh, some kind of uh, secondary email server to misdirect someone, you know, like, yeah, doing all that stuff. I mean, I think that's kind of the heart of my question there is that I think that like one of the difficulties of doing a new Rockford Files is that you would want to consult actual experts on this sort of you don't want the hand waving oh he types fast let me just to just say oh and so he he hacked into this and and retrieved this data Mm -hmm. or whatever and you don't have to get technical too like you want those moments of him knowing where to stand in an office to look over someone's shoulder to Mm -hmm. see them type their password and you want uh all of those tricks Mm -hmm. to like really convey to the audience that this Rockford, whoever this is, if they're in fact a Rockford or he at all, mm-hmm. but uh, this character is knowledgeable and doing the things because we see Rockford's cons. Yeah, we see him, and that's part of the fun of the show. And I think uh, it would be too easy, and it wouldn't work to just say, "Oh, and so we hacked this computer," right? Like, you right. have to have someone. I mean, I think this character to be in like the real spirit, right, would be more social engineering. Yeah. Tricking people into telling them their passwords because everyone has terrible password security because we're human, right? And like going through people's trash cans and like that kind of stuff. Checking for post-it notes in the drawer. Like under, (laughs) yeah, just like. Being frustrated by like not being able to, to, to get into, you know, a password protected thing on the computer, but then going into the trash can and finding the text file of like passwords yes. that someone never deleted <laughs> yes exactly those little things that are very human and very like oh this is how actual people act and then this modern rockford character exploits their knowledge of how normal people behave that would be one of the biggest i don't want to say difficulties it's just something they have to do right that's that's what would make it yeah a spiritual descendant and i'm trying to think if there's like other bits like that that just kind of have to have i mean obviously there has to be car chases right and they have to be creative. We, um, what did I just see? Oh, 
Condor Man. Have you ever seen Condor Man? I have not seen Condor Man. It's very difficult to get a hold of. Condor Man was a Disney movie uh, about a comic book artist who made a character named Condor Man. And for some reason, because Condor Man can fly, uh, this comic book artist tried to assemble a wing thing that allowed him to fly. Very Icarus-y, kind of. Somehow gets mixed up in an international spy thing and manages to convince the CIA to build all of his Condor Man gadgets. It's goofy, it's funny, but it has these car chases that are kind of fun because you can see that they're doing actual stunts with the cars. I guess what I'm saying is, if you have the car chases, how do you contend with Fast and the Furious, right? How do you contend with car chases that aren't car chases, that are superheroes that look like cars? Mm -hmm. Again, to be like the successor to the Rockford Files, you would have to do actual car stunts. Yeah, I think I was going to say there it should be like a no CGI thing. And that's, yeah. I understand that most, a lot of TV, even if it looks like it's not CGI, there's CGI for like yeah. backgrounds and stuff like that. But uh, practical effects in the sense of have actual people driving cars and, and the car chases are not about causing causing destruction. And no, <laughs> they're about the clever resolution. Car chases are, are about achieving a goal right yeah all right i think we need to i think we need to move on again to some of these other questions but do you have any other any final thoughts on we've dodged the casting question right <laughs> we can't do that clearly yeah get the characters far enough away from the canonical characters that right. they're not you're not recasting jim and dennis and beth there are new characters that have some kind of relationship to the old characters i mean uh stuart margolin's still out there right yeah he could be the rocky <laughs> Yeah, that would be amazing. Angel's retired, and yeah, he he invested his last big score in like an internet in like a national trucking company or something. So he yeah. doesn't drive, but he actually, <laughs> you know, his retirement is funded by trucking. Yes, that would be lovely. Uh, and you know, make sure that your I just make sure that your characters are always doing the work. Yeah, don't hand wave things. I'm not saying that in general hand waving. They're hacking, so we got through that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing for television or movies in general. Like, there's a lot of story that could be told by just saying, yeah, we hacked that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. But I think that in the Rockford Files in particular, that's where the action is. If it's a, if it's a con, we need to see the work. Exactly. Because that's where, that's where the fun is. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I, I think metaphorically the same thing deal with the car chases and everything else. Like, mm-hmm. I think you just have to decide what the episode is about and then show it people doing that thing. Yeah. We do see Jim Rockford at City Hall or at the Department of Records mm-hmm. going through records. And it's wonderful. Right. <laughs> I think that's a good place to move on from this question. Sounds good. That's a good one. That was a good question. Yes. We will go on to another question from Peter. Hypothetically, how do you think Rockford would have gotten on with some of the other TV detectives of the 70s and 80s? Like Columbo or Harry-O. I actually don't know Harry-O, but that's fine. There's no shame. So Harry-O is a show that I was not familiar with. Uh, Yeah. David Jansen is the world-weary private investigator. I'm down with that. <laughs> so, unfortunately, not sure about that one in particular. But I think, writ large, the question of, let's consider the greater 70s yeah. detective TV universe. Well, I will defer to you for Columbo. 
because I think you're the expert on that. Here's the thing. Columbo and Rockford are both in L.A., mm-hmm. and they're both solving crimes. Columbo is LAPD, homicide. Active cases. Right. Uh, and Becker is LAPD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, theoretically, Dennis Becker, as a sergeant, every so mm-hmm. often is, you know, on these cases where Columbo has uh, been assigned. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> But I think so for but, you know, their worlds never meet because Columbo is always dealing with high society. Right. Yeah. Because his that show is all about class. Um, mm-hmm. So he's always dealing with these uh, high class people who have committed a murder. While Jim, while he touches high society in individual moments, that's mm-hmm. not his world. Yeah. So like in this shared universe canon. It, there there would be like exactly one big crossover right where their two <laughs> yes. worlds collide um in terms of how they would get on as fictional characters meeting each other uh i think they'd probably get along fine i i think you're probably right but i do i want to point out mm-hmm. the the heavy weight of literary history that rests upon our shoulders at this very moment comic book fans will attest to this it's a common joke in comic book fans that when two superheroes meet up with meet each other in the streets they fight first and then they team up right yeah uh but that's not uh solely the realm of superheroes if you pay any attention to your robin hood legends every single one of those merry men that robin hood meets he fights with before <laughs> they join up. Like, and we know these fights. Like, you know that Robin Hood and Little John are on this log that's over this river, and they're fighting with quarter staves. And it doesn't end there. It, it goes all the way back to the dawn of the written word, to the Epic of Gilgamesh mm-hmm. and his friend Enkidu, and they fight when they first meet. That's what they do. The point is, is that this is such a trope throughout all of literature that like two protagonists Uh can't exist in the same work without first coming to blows right so one of the things about this question that delights me is just finding the way in which any tv detective would rub rockford wrong Mm -hmm. first and how rockford would rub any tv detective wrong so i think clearly the rockford colombo encounter would start Mm -hmm. with Rockford doing something that is in fact illegal, right? Like a right. breaking yes. entering or picking a safe or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so Columbo, you know, tracking him down to talk to him about it mm-hmm. and being a cop, Jim, you know, isn't going to give him the time of day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that ends in a car chase where Jim speeds away in the rock in the firebird and uh, Columbo's car doesn't start. <laughs> yes. And yeah, and then you get this begrudging respect and mm-hmm. that turns into an actual like, hey, no, we're both on the same side. We're both. Yeah, I think Jim would jump to conclusions about Columbo. Yes. First, yes. And that would be that would be the cause of the altercation. Yeah. And then they would come together over their over a bowl of chili at the taco stand. Yeah. And there's there's other ones out there that I think are pretty straightforward. Like, I can't imagine Jim and Magnum P.I. I think. Jim will start off treating Magnum P.I. like Lance White. Right. I think that's the... Like, <laughs> I feel like Jim would, yeah, have that, would feel competitive with Magnum. Yes. Right? Yeah. And Magnum would be like, oh, little buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they'd have that dynamic for sure. Yes. That's good. <laughs> One team up that I would love, and I think they get along like a house on fire, 
is Rockford and Jessica Fletcher. Yes. I honestly think that if there's any altercation to begin with, it's him treating her like Rocky and not realizing, you know, that that she's I don't want to say sharp because that I don't want to disparage Rocky there, but like <laughs> is is savvy about yeah, all this. Yeah. She would show him up early. Yeah. And he would be like, "Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. Now we're we're now we're partners." Yeah. And then she's the one who actually makes the first big discovery. Yeah. Cuz I could see him thinking of her as just like a a meddler or an amateur or mm-hmm. just like I think there is at least one or two episodes that has like uh somebody who reads detective magazine or something like that that uh rides along with Jim and just that same general thing. But oh man, I would <laughs> I would love to see that crossover would be pretty, pretty good. And I got the perfect name for it. Cove to Cove. <laughs> um, I really haven't watched that much of it because I actually didn't get super into it. But uh, have you seen uh, any of Kojak? I OK, I can remember Kojak from being a kid. I really can't tell you much about it other than I like Telly Savalas because mm-hmm. of seeing him uh, and that so much that I adopted his haircut. Which you, yeah, maintain to this day. Yes. I don't have anything smart to say about, like, as fictional characters, how they reflect each other or whatever. But I do think the the, the image of here's a big case that has gone to the other city. And so one of them yes. is pursuing, you know, pursuing someone. So we have Jim ends up in New York or mm-hmm. Kojak ends up in L.A. And then they end up having to team up, you know, to take down this this, you know, mob boss or whatever. That 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 end of episode brawl to take down all the goons while the police show up would be epic. Yes. And I think like most of my other answers to this would tend to be more in the 80s than the 70s yeah. and take place in that time period between the last Rockford Files episode and the first Rockford Files movie. But like there's a bunch of them that I would love to see just to watch Jim roll his eyes at them. So I think it's easy, may not easy, but I, I think it's, it, it is most fun to be like, all right, how does this team up work out? Right. Right. Uh, but there's plenty of just shows that Jim could just be in just to lend a sardonic air to yeah. and elevate the material without being like about Jim Rockford. Like, yeah. And like they would name the character John Stoneford. <laughs> For instance, I could definitely see a Jim Rockford parody in a Moonlighting episode. Sure, yeah. And uh, and I can definitely see Bruce Willis's character's name is David Addison. I have a lot of jealousy because obviously Maddie Hayes and uh, this John Stoneford character <laughs> would, would get on. It would just be implied that they're flirting with each other at one point, and then that would be it. Like that, that'd be lovely. I would mm-hmm. watch the hell out of that, and. I wouldn't be surprised if that is a legitimate episode of Moonlighting <laughs> that I haven't seen. Are there any detective or police protagonists that Jim would not would would be like an active opposition to? Yeah, that's a good question. That's the other thing is because these are all protagonists of their shows. It's kind of like they're doing the right thing. They end up making an accommodation with each other's style in order to achieve the goal. Remington Steel. Do you remember that? I've no, I haven't actually seen it, but I've looked it up because we've talked about it for this show. <laughs> so the premise to Remington Steel is that Laura Holt is a detective, uh, but nobody takes her seriously because she's a woman. So she hires an actor named Remington Steel. Or no, no. She hires an actor whose name is not Remington Steel 
but he takes on the persona of Remington right. Steele. She, she makes up the character of Remington Steele. Yes. As, quote, the detective. And this guy, Pierce Bronson, plays him, and he gets, like, a pretty high opinion of himself and his abilities to be a detective. So that character, Remington Steele himself, mm. I can see Jim and Remington, like, being at odds. Right. Jim would have no time for him because, like, yeah. he's not an actual detective. And then, on top of it, and I... I almost hate to say this because this I feel like I'm going to actually uh, this is this is where I think Jim would be in the wrong. But I think on top of that, Jim would moralize about Laura hiding mm. behind Remington. Yeah. So I think like that would be an area where it's like it's not it's not your business, buddy. Yeah, I see that. My one uh, immediate thought for that and maybe we'll move on from here is uh, I think that Jim Rockford and Hercule Poirot would have oh. very little to talk about. <laughs> I think I think Jim would would find uh find uh, Poirot extremely pretentious. Yes. Not it's not that he's ineffectual, right? But it's mm-hmm. because his method is so is so uh cerebral. Mm-hmm. Jim would just be like you're not we're not doing anything. <laughs> yes. Those episodes would be a race where Jim is out doing things and Poirot is like yes. walking around and having his fussy little finger foods and <laughs> and talking to people about things that don't seem related. And then at the end, they both come to the same conclusion from yes. completely different <laughs> directions. And then it's like, uh, Poirot. Yes. Uh, that's good. That was a good question. Another good question. Thanks, Peter. And Peter has a, a final question that I think we'll uh, we'll hit it quick. Because it is a non-Rockford question. Mm. How did we both get into tabletop game design? I was I was in college pursuing uh, a degree in English with an emphasis in creative writing and uh, standing in abject fear of the future, <laughs> like as one should if they're doing that. And uh, I moved in uh, with Nat Barmore, uh, who is the co-designer of Dread and. Uh, we started working on role play. We were playing role playing games together, and we started working on Dread. And I was adapting some of the things that I was learning in the creative writing world to games, and uh, I put that game together. But it took me, I think, five years after leaving college and pursuing the lucrative career as a temp worker um, in New York City before. <laughs> I actually published the game, and that's my short and punchy story. Like, I published it. Uh, well, I think the the punch part of this is that I published it. And mm-hmm. uh, when you're in college in the late 90s pursuing a career in creative writing, it's all about finding someone to publish your stuff. Uh, and when I published my own game, that changed my outlook on how anything is possible (laughs) like i just it just completely broke my mind uh and i've been picking up the pieces ever since uh and yeah that was that was it yeah so uh i guess top line is just that i i I grew up playing rpgs D D from when i was a kid and then i got into to more things as i got a little older and ended up uh as as listeners to our plus expenses have heard, uh, ended up working at a game store when I was in high school, um, that kind of thing. And I think as is fairly common for people who are into gaming, had ideas for a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened, what ended up being kind of the crucial thing for me was that at my high school, 
uh, our senior year, everyone did a like a capstone like project essentially. And you could either do you could do an internship somewhere, you could do a, a independent study, um, or you could do like a, a self directed like project. Doing my project uh, was writing a role playing game. Wrote it, play tested it a couple times, just you know, with my friends that I played games with. Yeah, and so I ended up uh, finishing that game. It's awful, uh, but finishing that game, printing a couple copies of Kinkos, and that was yes. like, my first game um and then i just had the bug from there uh went off to college was doing you know college stuff still working on games and then i actually found the website the forge uh Mm -hmm. when i was looking for resources on designing games because i felt like that must exist somewhere (laughs) so finding the forge brought me into a community of game designers having that community to be a part of is what kept me going i think and like led pretty much directly to my first couple of published, like published out in the world as opposed to published, but I don't give them to anyone because it's bad um, mm-hmm. games. And yeah, and then it's just off to everything else that happens in a career from that, right? Like yeah. <laughs> all the ups and downs and whatnot. You briefly wanted to uh, touch on how we ended up hooking up. Yeah, I like... From my memory... You probably have a better memory than me. <laughs> I mean, I knew you from The Forge, I think. I, I think I might have posted twice on The Forge. So you you might have gotten like Nerd NYC was another was an area where I did a lot of posting and I knew about Dread yeah because we all knew about Dread because <laughs> it was the Jenga game no longer the Jenga game but a Jenga game my first actual memory of meeting you was at I was at a Dreamation I think at like let's all go out yeah, to dinner I think so. thing. Um, and that was, and you were still living in New York at the time. Yeah. And just remembering that it was really fun to hang out and talk to you. And then it the, was fun <laughs> to hang out and talk with me. <laughs> and then I think the, and then the kind of games that you were doing and just your general, like, you know, personality and everything was a good fit for us when, uh, me and, and, and Kevin Allen Jr. decided to do the, the booth at Gen Con. And I yes. think that's where we really like started being more involved in each other's lives. <laughs> <laughs> that is the the uh, the crucible in which one uh, forges a friendship. Right. I don't know why I thought that would be pertinent to this question. And here we are today talking yes. about the Rockford Files, <laughs> as you easily would have predicted. Right. Way back when, <laughs> two thousand seven or whenever we two thousand eight. Yeah. 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 It was. Oh my God. I know, right? So yeah, there you go. Thanks for listening to Two Hundred a Day. In case you just joined us, we have a new podcast. Plus Expenses, a show where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. Plus Expenses is an exclusive bonus for our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This show will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Of course, each episode we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him, at JimLikesGames on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app Roll for Your Party at RollForYour.Party. Kevin Lovecraft, you know you can hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at MisdirectedMark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Dave P., and Dale Church. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and our detective patrons that you can follow on Twitter. Eric Antoner, at Antoner, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, and of course, Richard Haddam, who you can find at Richard Haddam.
Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Back to the Rockford Files. Yes. What do we got? So we have a couple questions here from uh, Brian Pereira, who is a detective level patron over on our Patreon. And we very much appreciate that. Yeah. Um, So we have a couple uh, more kind of trivia-ish questions here. So we'll do our best because... Even though we talk yeah. about the show a whole lot, uh, we're not super good at trivia details. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. we'll see what we can do. Uh, every episode holds the promise of a shocking star in the cast. Uh, Rick Springfield, Stephanie Powers, Rob Reiner, Rita Moreno. Mm-hmm. But the show guarantees a cavalcade of recognizable character actors. Who do we feel are the best stars uh, and or the best character as- actors? Uh, I think we'll start with that because there's a couple other parts to this question. Um, so I am terrible with remembering actors. Yes. Anytime it sounds like I know what I'm talking about on the show, it's because we paused, I Googled <laughs> and IMDb'd, found someone, pulled them up, and then cut out that whole period of silence while I was uh, doing that. <laughs> Which is to say that off the top of my head, uh, it's mostly you know characters that we've really found interesting on the show so we've talked about them mm-hmm. i mean i think uh rita moreno is just yes great her character on the show is great her presence on the show is great uh the dynamic she brings to the standard cast is really really interesting and unique i, I want to do a quick shout out to uh james hampton who you may remember as aaron ironwood oh yeah yeah because he's also a co-star of Condor Man, and I saw that <laughs> recently. <laughs> uh, there's no star power there, but he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I mean, that, that's part of uh, the the crux of this question here is that, like, it's hard to think of bad acting that takes place in the film, in, in the uh, Rockford Files or anything like Every that. Every so right? often like, there's someone, I think, that we find a little flat or a little, like, yeah. maybe just not in tune but I can't recall a time where we're like, oh, yeah, that was a bad performance. There's characters when you see them, uh, you see why they became reoccurring characters. Like Rita Moreno's character could have just been for that. But she comes back and and um, Isaac Hayes mm-hmm. as Gandhi is another one where, you know, you see him and you're like, I can see why uh, you would want to bring this actor back and to have them play the same character. Yeah. I think Tom Selleck is also in that like standout category of just so fun to watch. Um, for me, I'm just kind of thinking through, you know, who pops in my memory of guest stars. We did spend a lot of time talking about, um, John Saxon. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was in, uh, the, uh, a portrait of Elizabeth. Oh, he was everything in that yeah. one. Yeah. Well, and that was interesting because we looked up because like his character on the show was clearly showcasing things about why he was famous at the time, which was yes. like karate stuff. Yes. <laughs> so like without that context, it was just weird. And then with the context, it made it a little more fun, actually. Yes. There is a difference, I think, between, you know, it's not really stunt casting, but like we're going to cast someone who's hot right now. I think Rob Reiner was a little bit like that where yeah. they cast him because he was like available and and pretty hot and then like as time has gone on because he's rob reiner you notice that he's in that episode i i don't know if that's my favorite guest star performance like it's fine yeah no i yeah and i think so like saxon is is like that if he was 
still some kind of name in movies and TV, maybe he would have popped out more versus doing the research and seeing why he would have been a name at the time. A little bit of non-Rockford trivia, John Saxon's character in uh, The Bionic Man, or I'm sorry, The Six Million Dollar Man is the first one to get the bionic sound effect. He played a robot, though. (laughs) You know who I really like? We haven't done the episode yet for the show, but... Mm-hmm. In the sixth season, there's a two-parter with Lauren Bacall. Oh. Lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs. <laughs> it's it's. I really like that episode, and she is really, uh, she's really great in it. The Utility Award will have to go to Jack Gardner. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he's in 26 episodes. <laughs> and someone different in every one. You, you'll remember him as Man in Washroom, uncredited. <laughs> Uh, he plays man in airport, officer, court clerk, officer, maybe the same officer, bitter, mailman, gang accountant at rink, which might be my favorite role for him. <laughs> oh, right. Because he's the accountant in um, uh, the feeding frenzy. Feeding frenzy. Yes. Oh, God. I, I can almost tell you what calculator he had. <laughs> <laughs> and here I say I don't know trivia. Uh, bailiff, bartender, court deputy, Jack, bartender. Hubbard, restaurant manager, Sheriff Delbert Bassett, first Mm. guard, bartender again. That's three bartenders that probably aren't the same bartender, but maybe janitor, gas station attendant, workman number one twice, but that's a two-parter. Oh, he's in Lions, Tigers, Monkeys, and Dogs Mm -hmm. uh, as Captain McEnroe. And then in Only Rock and Roll Will Never Die as Captain McEnroe. And then in Hawaiian Headache. As Captain McEnroe. Ah, so we get to see him referring, recurring at the end. Yeah. That's cool. So thank you for tuning in and listening to me read <laughs> off IMDb. Uh, but I think it's I, I think it's great that Jack has such Yeah, no, Jack, yeah, it. it's great. And also that was very much, that was a thing that like he was on set. There's a lot about Jack in, in uh, James Garner's uh, autobiography. Yeah. Go pick up the autobiography and read it to learn all about <laughs> Jack Garner. Um. In terms of the character actors, I mean, we do have lots of goons and lots of, you know, faces that we recognize because they've been in everything. Uh, But again, just in terms of when I think about character actors that really jump out to me, Mm -hmm. uh, Strother Martin from Trees, the Bees and T.T. Flowers playing T.T. Flowers. Like he was so fun. Yes. (laughs) Such an interesting screen presence and also just like totally inhabiting that role and like really emotional. Um, I don't know if he counts as a guest, as a guest star or a character actor necessarily, but uh, he really, he really was great. Fairly recently recorded the um, profit and loss, both profit and loss. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, Ned Beatty was in that one and he was really good. I really enjoyed seeing him as a heavy. He's apparently in another one though, uh, the return to the 38th. Mm, yeah, we haven't done that one yet. Yeah, so I think so. There's some some of our some of our standouts and favorites. Uh, one kind of um, artifact of the way that we're doing the show is that because at least I don't know about you, but I generally am not watching right. watching it other than for the show. So the episodes yes. we haven't seen are very far back in my memory. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely am more biased to the stuff we've talked about in like the last year because that's what's you know in my head or last six mm-hmm. months even. But I will say this about this question. And I think this is important. Uh, it is putting a bunch of episodes on my 2C list. Yeah. 
Abe Vigoda. Oh, yeah. We, I don't think we've done an episode with him in it yet, have we? Or maybe we have. Yeah, we haven't done one with him in it yet. Well, that's on the list then. Um, all right. The last part of this question is, uh, who did continuity? The two-headlight <laughs> to four-headlight firebird haunts and distresses us to this day. <laughs> so my only response to this is that I do not notice continuity errors in television and movies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blind, unless it's like really, really egregious or um, someone points it out to me. I very rarely actually notice those kinds of things. I think uh, recently we did an episode where Rocky's moving some, uh, uh, putting some groceries away. And the box of cereal that he's holding changes between one <laughs> shot and the next. And I did not notice that except that I saw it in the IMDb trivia. And so I noticed it because I had read it before we watched the, the episode. If I hadn't read it, never would have noticed. And they're yeah. completely different. One's white and one's like brown. Like they're not even similar. So I don't notice a lot of those things. I think I, I miss a lot of the continuity too. But also I think part of why I miss the continuity is... Uh, the hazards of our job. <laughs> Typing notes as fast as I can while watching the episode. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely don't catch a lot of the continuity stuff. I'm trying to think. I feel like there has been some continuity that I have caught, though. So maybe that's a continuity problem right there with our show. Like in terms of the, you know, the different body styles of the Firebird and stuff. Mm -hmm. According to, so I'm looking up, there's a little chapter about the, about the Firebird in, uh, Ed Robertson's 30 Years of the Rockford Files. Mm -hmm. And so there's uh, a factoid here that they always had three cars on hand so that if something broke down, they, you know, would still have a car. Or if... Or if Gigi needed to yeah. <laughs> borrow it for school. <laughs> there was a new model of car each season until the last because James Garner want, liked the 78 model more than the, the ones previous to that. Um, and it also had a... Um, it had to have a custom interior because they didn't make the same interior after the first couple model years. So they actually, that tan interior, oh. that had to be custom done by a third-party company every year. Wow. So how about that for continuity? So with all of that going on, I would not be surprised if every so often, maybe they have three cars at the beginning of the season and then one of them actually got wrecked and they had to get a new one. And for whatever reason, there was a two and a four headlight model available in the three that were on set, you know, like that kind of yeah. stuff. That seems reasonable to me. One thing that I think it's easy to forget for people who aren't, not that we're in the business, but just from reading about it and being kind of tangentially involved with people who do work in TV is that, uh, especially for this kind of show at the time, they worked on super, super tight schedules. Yeah. Like they would shoot these episodes in a week, uh, which is really fast. And, uh, James Garner prided him, himself him and his staff on the ability to keep to this really tight turnaround um there's lots of moments where we're like oh this dialogue was like 80 yard in <laughs> like it sounds different and it's probably because they shot it and then they had to change the dialogue yeah so they just changed it in post right um they're not on that location anymore or whatever there is a wonderful youtube video done by uh somebody who worked on the movie shazam about how filmmaking is problem solving and it's about continuity things and realizing that because you're shooting oftentimes shooting things out of order and and whatnot you yeah. you end up in situations where you're like uh oh how do we make this make sense in the context of the story you're gonna have some sort of problem to solve in every scene but that's 
kind of the fun of it. And when you come up with a solution that actually makes things better, it's awesome. But working with movies has kind of ruined video essays and film analysis a little bit for me because you just never know if something was part of a brilliant plan or if it just happened to turn out that way because a problem had to be solved on the day. We'll put a link in the show notes. Not only does it point out like how how many things you have to juggle and like all the things you have to keep in mind, but it also points out how sometimes better stories come out of trying to solve these little continuity problems. Hmm. It's a recommend there. All right, next question. Uh, yes. What is the longest lag between the story starting and the title popping up? <laughs> Thankfully, uh, Brian has saved us saved us having to answer this because uh, he goes on to say that the house on Willis Avenue took almost 14 minutes and is noted that uh, his wife wanted to to have this question be addressed. I was not going to go through every single episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> count each one. And that's not something, you know, that I keep track of really. Every so often I'll notice when it takes a long time. But right. in doing some uh, internet sleuthing, uh, the house on Willis Avenue is the one that comes up as having the longest <laughs> gap. So I think you might already be on top of it, Brian. So uh, 122 episodes mm -hmm. times 14 minutes. We're just... If you wanted to research this, how long will this take? 122, 28 hours. That's all. Okay. That's all. I mean, less because most of them do come up in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. Under 28 hours. So, yeah, less than a day <laughs> if you needed to do it. 14 minutes. When you consider that most normal size episodes are about 45, that's a third of the way into the episode before they tell you that you're watching the Rockford Files. That is bold. <laughs> how late in the series is that episode? Uh, it's season four. Okay. They've earned it. Uh, no, this is a two-parter. Well, still, a two-parter, when it airs, you still they're still cutting up into two forty-five minutes. But yeah, that makes a little more sense with it being uh, slated to be a, a long piece. Uh, the only other thing I was going to say about the titles is that I, I appreciate how they, even though there is the stock opening, the phone call, the answering machine message, and then the credits. Mm -hmm. Once the credits end, they definitely shaped the opening credit like crawl and the title with the music, with the action of each individual episode. Ah, I think we, I, I usually kind of mentioned it when it, when it yeah, pops yeah. out to me when we do our reviews, but I think it's indicative of the like amount of care that they had in the editing room, that it was like a cohesive getting into the episode experience with the titles. And it's not always just like, here's all the guest stars playing over the action. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then here's a question that I'm not sure if we can answer for sure, but I think is fun to, to, to look at. Which episode did Jim come out the best financially? I have a candidate for this one. I hoped you would. We cannot prove this within a shadow of a doubt, but um, the, it's the one where he ends up with all the paintings. Oh, right. Um, that is the big ripoff. Our episode 38. Um that's the one where uh, Jim goes to your. It has that great opening. Yeah. Like silent movie opening in Paris where he goes and like. Uh, Speaking of good guest stars. Yeah. And, and cons his way into talking to. Uh, she's not in the episode after that, but. Uh, yeah. Suzanne Summers. Suzanne. Yes. Anyway. Yes. And so that's the one where there's the uh, uh, insurance scam where the guy kind of fakes his own death. 
and he re- reimagines himself as this uh, uh, primitive artist yes. in coastal California. If I remember right, the resolution is that he ends up basically escaping justice, right? But thanks Jim for not turning him in by sending him a bunch of original paintings. Yeah, is which right? I think I think Rocky finds them right in, in the truck. So it's hard to determine how much these paintings are worth, but it does seem like he was hot stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. So it actually does seem like there's a yeah, because there's a pl- there's a moment where Jim is astounded by how much those sell for. Yeah, and I can't remember what that was off the top of my head. But I okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> at least at the moment that the episode ends, his books look good. Right. But uh, here's the thing about accounting. An asset is only worth what you can sell it for. (laughs) We can assume in the basic understanding of how fate works in these these episodes that uh, this guy's fame dwindles swiftly after the episode because we can assume that, that Rockford doesn't make a ton of money off of it and retires. Uh, but also, it's a season one, and I, they may not have fully established in season one that Rockford is always on the small end of the change stick, mm-hmm. you know, like the, uh, I, that was a really mixed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's more, it was more for the joke than for establishing some kind yeah. of statement about his finances, right? But taken as as read that they are valuable to some degree, that's definitely a candidate. The other one, I think, unless I'm wrong... But I think because we talked about this because it was a bit of a surprise. But um, but in The Queen of Peru, which is season four, mm-hmm. so that's the one with the family from the uh, RV. Yeah, and from Indiana and the RV. Oh, right. So he's investigating the stolen diamond. Yeah. They end up stealing his or taking his grill and the diamond is in the grill. And we have the yeah. comedy of errors trying to chase them down to get the diamond. It's a great episode. Uh, it is our episode 29, The Queen of Peru. The uh, conclusion of that one is they recover this very valuable diamond mm-hmm. and because the, the dad is works for an insurance company, he's not eligible to claim right. the, the finder's fee or whatever. And then I remember talking about how we both expected there to be another twist that would keep Rockford from claiming the finder's fee, but yes. there wasn't, right? I think you're right. And it was just like a diss on... <laughs> On on Carl Rongo. Yeah, yeah. And that Jim actually was going to get like 5% of 10% or like whatever the finder's fee was for this really valuable diamond. Okay, so this question leads to uh, a theological question, <laughs> which is the gods of this universe, do they pay Rockford only when it's funnier to do so? I think so. <laughs> that seems to make sense to me. <laughs> That's great. We'll have to That's keep an eye good. out for that. So yeah. yeah, so those are not necessarily the canonical best outcomes for Jim, but I think those stick in our minds as uh, surprising. I think it's always surprising when Jim yeah. actually makes some money, and that's part of the, the thing. There are definitely some episodes where he makes like his bread and butter money, and yeah. you know that he's done that. But uh, almost every time when there's a big thing on the line, it just gets pulled out from underneath Jim at the very end, mm-hmm. like for whatever reason. And these are two moments when when the the, the fates had decided otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> just had not paid close enough attention to Jim's bottom line, and he managed to sneak out with something. Um, all right. So we have a couple more questions. 
and I think they're they're actually pretty juicy. So we'll let's get to them. Sounds good. From uh, Joe V Greathead on Twitter, uh, while watching Hotel of Fear, another Twitter uh, handle Purple Adams uh, was regularly asking. Why are Jim and Angel friends? <laughs> Even after watching the majority of four seasons, I had trouble sorting this out with what Angel was doing. Yes. Epi, why are Jim and Angel friends? I don't think it's a great secret that I do love moments in these shows when they show that characters who are otherwise almost always at odds are actual friends. Like, it's not that you see the reason. It's that you see them when there's no nothing coming between them and you see them being friends and you're like, oh, yes, of course, these these two people get along. Mm-hmm. So I spent uh, like I can probably think of some times where that happens with Jim and Dennis. Uh, I can think of some moments where that happened with Jim and Gandy. Mm-hmm. Another it might be another Polish wedding uh, in the beginning of the episode. Jim and Gandy, they're talking to a guy about getting a skip trace. That's oh, what, right. that's the terminology I was looking for. And the guy that they talk to, I think he uses a bunch of acronyms or things like that. And as they're leaving, Jim and Gandy make fun of it. Mm-hmm. And the, like one of the big punchlines is one of them says A-OK. Oh, right. And they both laugh at it. And it's just that little moment, right? Like that that's a moment where you're like, oh, these guys are also friends. And I was trying to think of those moments with Angel. And I, I can't. <laughs> like I, I cannot remember a moment where Jim is not exasperated about Angel in some way. Mm-hmm. Or that Angel's not trying to pull something over on Jim. Well, what about when Angel like calls Jim because he has a he has like a tip. Or he has something that he wants. Yes, he is trying to get Jim to, like, you know, fund mm-hmm. a con of his or something. Right. But he's calling Jim, not anyone else. Right. And he's like, yeah. you can get in on this con with me. Yes. You know, I just need you to, you know, lend me 20 bucks or whatever. I'm not saying that they're not friends. <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and like, one of my favorite moments in the whole series is it's the episode where Angel hides the, the money in Jim's car, mm-hmm. and they have that fight, and Angel's like, because you're my friend, mm-hmm. it, it really hits Jim because he realizes it. So I think that the sh- series definitely shows you that they are, in fact, friends through that sort of stuff. Yeah, but, like, why – and we kind of talked about this in – um uh, drought at Indian Head River, where it's like, yeah, like when Jim gets so fed up with Angel's behavior, yes. why after this moment does he even still talk to Angel? Yes. Um, the meta answer is because Jim and Angel are very fun to watch on screen and they have yes. great chemistry <laughs> and they make for fun TV. Um, the like in universe answer is a little more reliant on their backstory. My theory is this is that. If we talk about the four closest people to Jim, mm-hmm. we're talking about Rocky, Dennis, Beth, and Angel, right? right. And I think that that's a non-controversial statement to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's ignore Angel for a moment. You've got Dennis, who's a cop, Beth, who's a lawyer, and Rocky, who's his dad. None of them, like, Jim can't be himself in front of any of them. He can't, because mm. Jim has this side to him, this extra legal side, mm-hmm. the side that, uh, like, in the early episodes, the fact that Jim was once a con is like a bit of a problem with with Rocky. And uh, obviously, 
uh, Dennis and Jim get along, but Dennis is suspicious of Jim in times. Like, so Angel fills this role of being the the friend that Jim can talk to about cons. Mm-hmm. He's the friend that doesn't judge Jim for the fact that he spent time in prison, even though he was right. uh, exonerated, uh, it was pardoned. Um, so, like, I, I, it's easy to draw that conclusion. They became friends in prison together. Yes. Right. And so, like, there's a bond there that I think one can infer similar to uh, the occasional episodes where Jim has someone from his uh, military past show up, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, yeah. uh, two into 556 won't go. Yeah. He gets in on that case because he has a bond from serving under this captain or whoever who's now dead. He can't just ignore it because they did have that experience together. Yeah. Also, Jim has a very functional reason to keep Angel around, which is every so often he needs Angel in order to run cons. Yes. Right? <laughs> like, uh, like in... Um... Not smoothly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was thinking of there's one in every port, which is like a big con game episode. But even recently <laughs> when we talked about uh, Counter Gambit, the real necklace, fake necklace, yeah. switcheroo thing. Yes. Jim had to go to Angel to impersonate the the fence in order to orchestrate that whole thing. And like, because they have this relationship because he has done so many favors for angel Mm -hmm. every so often when Jim needs a favor from angel, even though he ends up giving him money, you know, paying him off as well. Who else in LA can Jim just call up and be like, Hey, I need you to do a kind of dangerous thing that isn't to your benefit, except that I can give you some cash. Yes. And you don't get the sense that there's that many people he can call on to do that kind of thing or that Angel is his access into those war into the world of active con artists. Right. Where he's more like semi-retired, right? Uh yeah, I think so. And but look, okay, so all that said, mm-hmm. I want to point out that the question uh why are Jim and Angel friends? And specifically that question being asked while watching an episode and specifically watching the episode of Hotel of Fear is a very rational question. Oh, yeah. And well, and Hotel of Fear is all about is an angel episode. Yes. Like Angel is not good at responding to stress. Yes. (laughs) Right. So you see the worst and angel episodes, you see the worst of Angel. Yes. And Jim is the one who has to like save him because who else is going to do it? Right. While in when Angel is in a non-Angel episode, they are more like buddies and less yeah. of that, like, Angel, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, yes, dynamic, exactly. Right? But it's totally valid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a valid one. I mean, he's a bad friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's be clear. The series relies, I think, heavily on the actual chemistry between uh, James Gardner and Stuart. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, when they're acting it's easy for me to read into this antagonistic relationship, a a caring core. Mm -hmm. Rockford is exasperated with him, but that doesn't make it easy for Rockford to discard him. Well, and Jim also has that, I don't know if like caregiving is the right word, but Rockford has that sense of responsibility for those who can't take care of themselves. Right. (laughs) Like so many episodes hidden on him talking himself into helping someone who can't afford him because they're right. in trouble and he's the only one in a position to help them in the way that he thinks they need to be helped. Yes. And Angel, uh, so I think sometimes intentionally and sometimes just because he's Angel, triggers that 
aspect of yes. Rockford's personality. Because who else is going to take care of Angel? Right, exactly. So there's there's a book that could be written here <laughs> by uh, like a, a couples therapist or you know, something that could talk about that part of the dynamic too, which is not necessarily healthy, but has kept Angel alive, definitely. <laughs> and because the two of them have such a great screen chemistry is fun for us to watch. Yes, exactly. So I don't know if there's a satisfactory answer in there for someone watching and being like, what the hell is up with this guy? But <laughs> in the context of the show, I think there's a lot of reasons and they are complicated and I think intentionally dramatized. Yeah. It's a good question to ask of the show while you're mm-hmm. watching it. Like, oh, it's, yeah. you know, be like, I want to see what they're doing here that makes it realistic that these two would be together as friends in this in this uh, regard here. If anything, the show could do a little more of that with Angel in particular, mm-hmm. because of all the characters, he has the least on screen. We see their dynamic as positive to keep him hooked into Jim of the other revolving characters. And the most like, look, they're just friends. Just let's just go with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Oh, God. Are you ready? This is probably the easiest question. The simplest one. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No problem. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and, and end on a quick one and get out of here. Zella Kate on Twitter asks, if each of you had to pick one and only one episode as your favorite, what would you pick? <laughs> well, I think obviously it would be. <laughs> I agree. That is the one. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so uh, obviously this is one of those answer could change on any given day, depending yeah. on how you feel kind of questions. And I assume we are limiting our scope to the episodes that we've talked about for the show. Yeah. We have spent so much more time thinking about those. And they're so much more recent than the ones we haven't watched. Uncomfortable being like, at this point in the show, when we're almost halfway through, yeah, we'll, we're picking from a from a, a big pool that is not necessarily the full pool of episodes. I'm I'm actively trying not to pick more recent ones we've seen because they happen to be because there's also that bias too. Recency right? like, bias, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do I do this? <laughs> All right, here's what here's what we're gonna do. We're doing this live. Uh, yes. I don't know about you, but I haven't really gone through super hard. I'm in the 200 a day Rockford Files files uh, right now. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at our website episode page and just scrolling through. We're going to consolidate here. We we both get one, which right. means we get two. <laughs> one for you, one for me, right? Pick pick a top three. Okay. And let's see if any of them overlap. And then if there's a rough of these three, I would say this one. Okay. Quick, uh, quick question? Yes. Two-parters. Two-parters count as one pick. Okay. Uh, Zellicate. <laughs> what have you done to us? Yes, you tossed the golden apple. Okay, all right. So we've, we've, done a quick, we've done a quick assessment of what we've gone through so far and separately made a short list. Yes. And then we will arbitrarily declare one of those each to be uh the favorite so this is not best episode this is favorite episode yes right okay all right all right you go first chicken little's a little chicken 
mm-hmm. is on my list. Was that on your it list? It is on my list as well. Few, because that one will be on, and then I'll pick a different one as my favorite, so we'll sure, get our two. Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay, so I just want to say why I chose this one, yeah. and I, I think it's one that has just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. There might even be textual evidence of us referencing it more than others. Yeah, we probably reference it the most because we talk about because when we ever we make a joke about the urban horticulturalists, yes. that's from this episode because yes. this is the one that has the two mob bosses and they're both really oh. interesting. It yeah. has the con that goes wrong at the end. It's so well written and just yeah. Okay. And I guess ironically, considering how much we were talking about Jim and, and Angel just now, but like it is 100% a Angel gets Save Jim Angel. into this deep, deep well. Yes. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, Jim needs Angel's help to spring the trap at the very end, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. I have the trees, the, the bees, and TT flowers. Ah, well, I'm glad you have it. I almost picked that one. So that's a that's a two parter we did relatively recently. Of the two parters we've done, it's definitely my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. We were talking. I was talking about Struther Martin earlier in this uh, discussion about how great he is as TT Flowers. Um, yes, the structure of how they utilize the two episodes broadcast to actually do a little bit of narrative time looping is really mm-hmm. cool like it's it's subtle but the the way they use that structure to frame the overall story it's really really smart at the end of the first episode that amazing escape sequence um yes and and it's socially relevant and it's just uh it just has a lot of good stuff in it i just really uh, thought it was a strong episode i think i probably mentioned this during the episode but there was there was a time when i was on vacation i was with a lot of family and we were all very <laughs> tired at a at a point where if nobody did something calming for the whole family, we would have been a little bit mm-hmm. on each other's nerves. And I had said, oh, Emily and I have been, this is back when it was on Netflix. I said, we've been watching the Rockford Files. And my dad was like, oh, I remember that show. And so we put this episode on. The, when the first part of this episode ended, we were like, are we going to bed? And everyone's like, <laughs> no. Nice. Yeah, it's great. So does this mean that these are our two favorites or are we going to pick favorites out of out of our stew here? I think we we're going to list our stew and then figure out our two favorites. Let's list our stew. What's up? What else is in your gumbo? Uh, gear jammers. And if I had to pick gear jammers part mm-hmm. one, uh, but I don't necessarily have to pick. But it's because of gear jammers part one that yes. I choose yeah. gear jammers. Uh, I love this peek into uh, Rocky's life that just just <laughs> completely changes Everything about that character, uh, as you as you learn that he's he's got a romance going on, and he just kind of <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. No, it's a wonderful uh, look into uh, Rocky's life. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I I'd agree. The first of the two is is the more impactful one for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. I also am a big fan of Quickie Nirvana. Oh, I, again, I almost picked it, but didn't. Um, so this is the one where uh, uh, Sky is a, but a a woman seeking some kind of spiritual enlightenment and bouncing from practice to practice. And yeah, Jim ends up involved in, in her business because she does some temp gig for a, a shady um, concern and things escalate from there. 
I think this episode gives some of the most clarity into the Jim Rockford moral universe, right? Like what his moral code is and his structure for making um, decisions. Uh, And in a way that is like, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, I see it like it is a compelling uh, set of principles. It's not, um, you know, it's not just like by the need of the plot. It, It feels like the plot is built out of the character in that way. Uh, Sky is a great, she's not an antagonist, but a great foil for Jim. And I think we actually talk in that episode yeah. about foils, about the role of the, yeah. the foil in a narrative. There's a lot of really good jokes. It's a, it's, it's a very funny episode. It's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good sight gags. Yeah, you know, just, it's just the show just hitting on all cylinders. And I think, and it won an Emmy for that episode. So I feel pretty good about that pick. <laughs> it, and the ending is, is. Out of character for the Rockford mm-hmm. Files, I would say. Maybe not like completely out of character, but out of character. The ending is a very like downturn ending. And so it sticks with you. It's a twist, but it's a twist that grows out of the characters as, as established. It's not a twist that throws mm-hmm. everything you thought you knew into doubt, which are ones that I don't really love yeah. so much. Um, and it adds gravity to what could otherwise be a kind of flighty episode. So, yeah, it's the whole package. Yeah, one of my faves for sure. Uh, and then the other one I have is a portrait of Elizabeth. And we, I mean, we talked about it earlier this episode. I could go on forever about how fun it is to watch John Saxon, uh, versus, uh, Jim Rockford or John Saxon's character's name, David versus Jim Rockford. Um, but that's not why I picked it. That's certainly a piece of it. Like it's just entertaining. But, uh, the reason why I picked it was just that it, I, I don't think there's a clearer picture of the complex mm. relationship between mm. Jim and Beth than that episode. And uh, it's just done so well. This isn't straightforward and mm. this won't be straightforward. And there's no clear answer to this. Yeah, so, that's great. That's a good one. But I think I'm going to go chicken. Little's a little chicken. If I had to pick one, that's my one. After talking about it, I don't know. I might I might be talking myself into Quickie Nirvana over T.T. Flowers. Can, can we have a tie? <laughs> <laughs> no, we did this. We've hedged so many bets on all this. You have to pick one and only one. Well, quickly, before I pick my one and only one, other uh, runners up on my list, tie, tied for position, I don't know which I would pick over the other, are Paper Palace, the Rita Moreno one that we just did recently, and Queen of Peru, the yeah. one that we were just talking about in terms of making money. Totally different episodes, but both just super, super compelling in their own way, and I think they're both extremely good. Uh, okay. So you're going with Chicken Little? Yeah. So you're lucky. You're off the hook. <laughs> All right. Well, I think after talking talking about it and recapping it in my mind, I'm going to go ahead and say Quickie Nirvana is my choice. Well I done. I think the two of them is a really interesting package. If you watch those two back to back, I think that would be... I think that would show you a wider uh, uh, gamut of how the Rockford Files can work than some of these other choices i would agree so tune in next time for when we make different picks on uh this question but yeah hard <laughs> question that was tough yeah those were good questions all around though i want to uh thank our our patrons if this ended up being a super long episode your fault patrons because you gave us too much fun stuff to talk about yes <laughs> but uh speaking of overly long i think it's probably time for us to go ahead and wrap this up uh thank you again to everyone thanks again to gg garner for uh giving us some of her time oh Please yeah go absolutely. check out uh her initiative in the name of the great james garner jgarf.org help out some dogs order a shirt mm-hmm. this has been a fun little break but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the rockford files 
Excellent.